when people say I am bipolar, like I, I don't like that because I look at it as I have bipolar. I'm all of these things and bipolar disorder is just something that I deal with. It doesn't define who I am as a person. And so I just want people to know if you know someone who's going through something, misdiagnosed with something or you're diagnosed with something, um, it really does not define who you are. It does not have control over your life and you can let go of that. And you are so much more of a person than what your mental illness is. Hey, welcome to the Upside of Bipolar, conversations on the road to wellness. I am so excited that you decided to join me today. We're a community learning how to live well with bipolar disorder, and we reject that the best we can expect is learning how to suffer well with it. I'm your host, Michelle Reidinger of MyUpsideOfDown.com, where I help people with bipolar disorder use the map to wellness to live healthy, balanced, productive lives. Welcome to the conversation. This is the Upside of Bipolar. I'm so excited to have my guest tonight. This is Kate Simonet. She's known on Instagram as Choosing Happiness LLC, and she is the author of the book Out of the Darkness. I'm really excited to have you. Welcome. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I've been, you know, I spoke to you briefly, but I've been following you for a while, and I just love the positive content that you share. So I wanted to, like, when you reached out, jumped on the opportunity to come on and speak. Oh, thank you so much. That's very nice of you. Well, and I love what you do. I think the very first thing when I um, started following you, I asked you about the name, the Choosing Happiness LLC. So I'll ask you that a little bit later, but I want to start with you introducing yourself. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah. Hi, my name is Kate. So I have a full-time job here in Minnesota. I'm a product manager. And then outside of that, I recently published my book called Out of the Darkness, which you guys heard about earlier. I, you know, when I initially wrote the book, it was kind of a way for me to sort through a lot of the mental health issues that I went through as a younger person. And it allowed me to kind of reflect and go through some of that and review that with my family. And it just blew up into something even bigger. I have now sold over 800 copies. And I public speak here in different schools across Minnesota and talk to high school students and sometimes teachers and coaches and staff to just like educate them on how important mental health is. Because when I had my first episode of major depression, I was 18 years old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with that? Like tell us what, what your journey was has been like. Yeah. So growing up, I was a very much an all-around student. I was on honor roll. I had very supportive parents, really like an all-American kid. I was set to go to college my freshman year and participate in cross-country and track and go to this four-year college, which I was really excited about. In my senior year of high school, I just turned 18. I started to struggle with a little bit of depression. And I graduated in 2013. When I went to school, there wasn't really education on mental health issues, anxiety, depression. So I didn't really know what I was dealing with. And as a lot of you guys know who have dealt with depression, I felt like depression made me feel like I couldn't ask for help. So I hid a lot of that pain inside of me and went through seven months through my senior year of high school, just kind of going into this downward spiral 
of depression. Like I said, I know a lot of you on here understand what depression feels like. It's a very deep emotional pain, kind of strips you of everything that makes you who you are and makes life fun. And for me, that really just, I got to a point where I lost hope. I was set to go to a spring break trip with my mom and a best friend and her mom. And I was like at my breaking point, I wasn't sleeping or eating enough. I tried therapy just because I wasn't being honest with my symptoms. I wasn't able to get the help I needed. So I actually had a psychotic break out of the country on a spring break trip. And my mom and my travel partners realized at that moment how important it was to get me back home to get treatment because I became a danger to myself. Uh, For those of you who haven't experienced psychosis, I lost touch with reality and I didn't know what was real and basically what was going on in my head wasn't the reality of people around me so they did what they could to get me back to the U.S. and then we landed uh, we had a connecting flight in Atlanta Georgia we landed in Georgia and I wasn't healthy enough to get on the next plane so I ended up being hospitalized in Atlanta for two weeks I know any of you have experience with psychiatric hospitals but There's really good ones, and then there's some that I just wouldn't recommend going in, and this one in Atlanta was just not a good experience. I would say it saved my life in the fact that I was able to get the care I needed, and it allowed me to start functioning again. So I stayed there for two weeks, and then my mom and dad were super supportive. They got me home. I started doing therapy and seeing a psychiatrist, and I diagnosed with major depression initially. I... uh, was going back to school. And as you can imagine, me, an 18-year-old kid being gone for a month and then being put back into this environment where everyone knows you were gone, but you don't want them to ask questions. This is very uncomfortable. Fast forward a few weeks after I'd been back, I attempted suicide and I was hospitalized in Minneapolis, which is where I live now. Had a really good experience. I realized in the moment that I was hospitalized how important it was to help myself and like be honest with my symptoms. So I worked really hard and realized that it was possible to live a really healthy and happy life. And so I'm in a really great spot today. I ended up, after I got out of the hospital, graduating from high school. Um, I went to college. I got to run D2 cross-country and track for two years, which I'm super thankful for. I was put on an antipsychotic longer term in college, and it caused really bad side effects. So I had a lot of cramping and a lot of like dehydration. So it made running really difficult for me. I quit taking my meds while I was running, had another psychotic break, experienced some mania, and then was finally diagnosed with bipolar one disorder when I was 20. And one thing I recommend to people is if you're on your medication and you don't like your medication, you definitely have a voice to say that you don't feel comfortable with what you're putting in your body. And I didn't do that. And I wish that I would have just asked for a different option. And I went off mine and that caused me to have another psychotic break. So now fast forward eight years past when I was diagnosed, I'm completely stable, hasn't, haven't been hospitalized for over eight years. And I attribute a lot of that to my hard work and going to therapy and having really healthy habits around eating, sleeping. I love to journal, which, you know, journaling ended up turning into writing a book, but I really think it's possible for those who deal with any type of mental health issues to like live a normal life. And I mean, what is normal, but like mental illness does not define you unless you let it. And so I've like published and I'm sharing my story because I just hope to give like a lot of you guys hope around 
the good in happiness in life. And um, you asked me about why I named my company Choosing Happiness LLC. Uh, My grandpa was such an inspiration in my life. He passed away in 2020, but growing up, I was so close to him. And he was just such a positive person all the time. He was always active, always supported his family. In the last couple of years of his life, he was wheelchair bound, losing his memory. Um, and I always like couldn't believe how happy he was. He always had a twinkle in his eye and he was always so positive. And I just asked him one day, I was like, how can you be so happy? Like I was thinking of his circumstance and I was thinking about my circumstance and how I wasn't always happy. And he just said that happiness is a choice. It is what you make of it. We can't, we can't control what's happening to us, but we can control how we react to those different experiences. So I really try to live by him. That's amazing. Oh, man. Okay, so many things that I have questions for. <laughs> so let me, let's go back to the beginning, if you don't mind. When you first started to experience depression, did it come on really suddenly or was it kind of a gradual thing? Do you remember how that felt? When I first started feeling depression, it was very mild. I, and, and still today, if I ever experienced depression, it starts out really small. I think it started off just feeling like irritated and like I couldn't find satisfaction or joy in like the little things that I was doing. So when this first happened to me, I thought like, what am I doing wrong? Like, do I need to be, I became very much a perfectionist. And I thought that if I externally did things like to a T and made myself look really happy, it could like fix me inside. And I think a lot of people still do that. Yeah. Well, and I, I had really bad depression off and on as a teenager. I wasn't diagnosed until before I graduated from college. But looking back, like I could see the patterns de- that developed really early on. And I, I'm from a very religious background. And I thought every time that I would get depressed that I'd done something wrong. And I would like pick apart my life and like beat myself up and kind of punish myself, you know, and thinking that I was doing something that was causing me to feel that way. And I think that's one of the challenges with this disorder and any kind of mental health disorder is it's in your head. And it, you know, and so it's really hard to recognize that what you're experiencing is not rational and it is not healthy. You know, it's not something you're doing to yourself. It's something that's happening that you don't have any control over. But it's hard when it comes on gradually at the beginning, you know, and then also the psychosis, you know. So how long do you think, do you remember how long you were you were experiencing depression prior to your, your first psychotic episode? Yes, it took about six to seven months. And I think it downrolled spiraled because I wasn't sleeping. I think a lot of people experience psychosis because they're not giving themselves time to rest. And I was under much stress. I wanted to go back to the point that you were saying about growing up in a religious background and just like feeling like something was wrong with you. I grew up Catholic and it is a part of my book that I was taught that if I did things a certain way, I would be happy because I would be accepted. And so when I was such a, like a good student, good daughter, good athlete, and I was feeling so much like pain and like unhappiness, I really blamed myself. And so I think that's another reason why I suffered as long as I did, because I felt like, who am I to complain about my life? Because People have it worse off than I do. And like, there's something wrong with me and no one can know. And so I think if I would have had the education when I was 18 that I do now, I don't think what happened to me would have happened because I wouldn't let it go on as long as I did. Well, there's a lot of shame. I think even if somebody wasn't experiencing, you know, it wasn't experiencing it from the lens of, of a religious background, 
you can still feel a lot of shame and embarrassment by the feelings that you're having because you have negative thoughts. Like, I don't know if you experience this. A lot of people do. So I, I'll ask you if you do, but I, I had a lot of negative thoughts that would come into my mind, just like, like hammering me. I felt like my mind was beating me up. Yeah. You know, it would tell me all these negative things and, or my emotions was, were validating what I was thinking. So my thoughts were really negative. My emotions validated it. And so I thought they must be true. And I was ashamed by a lot of the thoughts that I had. And I didn't want anybody to know because I thought good people don't have thoughts like that, you know? And so it just kind of feeds off of itself. Is that, was that your experience or? Yeah. And the thoughts too, they're very intrusive. When I talk to people, we talk about like suicidal ideation and suicidal thoughts. And it's a really uncomfortable thing to talk about. You know, we don't talk about it often. Um, But for people who experience those things, it's one, definitely very serious and it's a good thing to ask for help and vocalize what you're going through but it's also like not your fault it's part of having that chemical imbalance and like they are intrusive like you can't help the the thoughts that are coming to your head so having those like come at you and then feeling the way you're feeling like you said it really feeds off itself and for someone who like hasn't experienced that before it's can be very unbearable yeah well, and the, the other thing that I, I've learned, uh, and I maybe can speak a little bit more to what you're what you talk to people about with um, like suicide prevention. But my personal experience with suicidal ideation is I was so embarrassed by the thoughts that I was having. I, it's mine started off with nightmares. I would have really bad nightmares for a long time about dying, and I think my mind was trying to find a way out because I was suffering so much for so long. And I would wake up feeling really bad in the morning. And then it kind of turned morphed into daydreams where I'd be like driving down the road and my mind would just suggest something that I could do that would end my life. And at first I was kind of horrified by it. And then I started finding relief in those thoughts, you know, like, well, it would just look like an accident and then it would be over, you know, and, you know, and so it just kind of gradually progressed, but I didn't tell anybody because I was so embarrassed that I was having those thoughts and kind of ashamed of them. And I didn't want anybody to know that I was having those kinds of thoughts in my head. And the problem is, is that when you let those thoughts stay unchallenged, that they weaken your resistance. And it's like having, you know, I I, I likened it in my mind to having an intruder in my home that was trying to kill me Mm -hmm. and not asking for help. Yeah. And if you leave them there and let them stay, eventually they're going to do something that's going to harm you and maybe even succeed. Like, what's your experience? How do you, how do you share, like, what do you talk about when you talk about suicidal, like prevention, suicide prevention and that? I think basically what I just shared with you as far as like, I, like, I want people to know, like, if you're feeling suicide ideation, having suicidal thoughts, that's not your fault. It's a symptom of depression. And when people die by suicide, I'm trying to change my the way I speak because, you know, people used to say, like, they committed suicide. Well, they're not really committing an act. They're not doing anything wrong. Um, I feel like suicide is a symptom of depression. Yeah. It's the last symptom of depression. So it's definitely part of the illness and for a person to get to a point where they'd be like considering suicide I really think that that person had to have been suffering for a really long time and so for me it took me about six seven months to get to that point where I suffered in silence and the thing that is just like the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because like suicide rates are up I follow, you know, because I was an athlete in college, I do follow some stories about female athletes who die by suicide. And I follow the stories and almost every time the parent says, I had no idea. And it's like that person's life like was filled with so much pain and trauma and just so much unbearable like 
suicidal thoughts, stuff like that. And like for no one to know that because people who go through depression feel like they can't talk about it. Like that's why what I'm doing is trying to make that stop because I really, it is such a tragedy when someone dies by suicide because there are resources out there to help people. And if we're talking about it more and making it more of a normal thing to talk about our emotions, like I truly think that we can help others and bring those suicide rates down. Yeah, absolutely. So your the progression that you went through, you know, having the psychotic episode, that must have been really hard for your mom. I, I know as a mother, like I've been through this myself, but I always wonder what it feels like on the mom side of it. You know, to, have you talked to your mom about that? Have you guys talked? Because that's it, it's traumatic for everybody. Those kinds of experiences are traumatic for everybody. What what was your experience talking to your parents and your mom about that? I would say that my mom is definitely like a hero in my life. I think her seeing her daughter going through the hardest time in her life was like heartbreaking for her, but she was really strong in the moment. So like she saw me being psychotic. And then for me, because psychosis caused paranoia, I didn't trust her when she was trying to help me. And so for her, like not having a history of mental health issues and then like seeing her daughter acting out of control and then to like be put in a mental health system where I'm like, you know, she has to come visit me during visiting hours. Like this was just like totally new to my mom in the hospital. I was at in Atlanta, like wasn't a great place. Like looking back at it, a lot of people who went in didn't come out easily because they just, it was just like a place you went and I was 18 at the time. So I had to sign consent for my mom to let, like know what was going on with me. Yeah. Because I was paranoid, I didn't want to sign that she could have consent to helping me with my treatment. And I'm so thankful that, you know, they talked me into, like, having my mom help me, which I didn't understand. That's what they were doing at the time. And she was just amazing. She, like, went out and bought me clothes to wear in the hospital so I didn't have to wear, like, the hospital gowns and brought me food and all this stuff and, like, really listened and educated herself. And then when I came back to Minneapolis, it was like, wow, our life changed because now I have to deal with this the rest of my life. And instead of like judging me or shaming me or anything like that, you know, she loved me so much and she educated herself, um, went to a lot of appointments with me and has been like very supportive of like my journey and my publishing process. And I, even my dad too, very supportive. I think that me publishing my book has strengthened my relationship with my parents because like for them, they see me acting the way I am. They see me doing things. But I think the book allowed them to look inside the mind and yeah. understand why I did what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the other things that you talked about that I think is really important is you talked about when you first started going to therapy, you, it wasn't effective because you weren't being honest with, about you know, it's your symptoms. You weren't really ready to heal. And then, you know, the difference. So can you talk about the difference? Like, what is that? What were those experiences like? I think I like to look at it now as like anything. If you have a physical injury, mental injury, same thing. If you go to a doctor and your leg hurts and you don't tell them where it hurts or you lie about your pain and then you go home, like nothing's going to change. Right. And so for me, I finally learned that if I tell them the truth, they might be able to know what's going on. And they be, may be able to treat me better. And with therapy, highly recommend therapy. Anyone who is looking for therapy has tried therapy, didn't like it, keep trying. I've done, 
I've had over five therapists and I just didn't like click with any of them until I found the last person that I've been with. And I've been with him for over five years and I have like the best relationship. I think that therapy, even though you literally just sit down and talk to someone for an hour, it has brought me so far and like confidence wise, it's allowed me to go through these experiences when I was 18 and sit in the front of the camera and talk to you about it without like being emotional because I've accept- accepted a lot of that pain and let that go. And I truly think that, I don't know, if, if you're questioning therapy, if you don't have mental health issues, maybe you have issues at your in your home life, maybe you have some trauma from your past. Um, I truly think that you can't move forward until you release a lot of that pain from your childhood. And so I highly recommend therapy. And then, yeah, I see a psychiatrist, I take medication, and I'm very honest about what I feel comfortable putting in my body. And I talked about taking medication in high school and college that had terrible side effects. And I found something that has very minimal side effects and helps me feel like me. Awesome. And and so what are the what are the self care tools that have been really beneficial to you? Like, tell me what your your care looks like, because if you've been stable for as long as you have, you seems to have figured out a system that keep you stable. So what what do you do? What does that look like? I would say I'm very fortunate because, like I said earlier, I grew up in a two-parent household. I was grew up financially stable. Um, and I think a lot of people who deal with mental health issues don't necessarily have that. So that I'm so fortunate to like be able to have supportive friends and family to lean on. I've learned as I struggle a little bit with a little bit of depression or mania instead of isolating myself, it's good to be like, hey, like, hey, I'm going through something. And then that allows people to understand and give me a little bit of grace. I went through a little bit of depression about two weeks ago. And it hit hard because like, even if you go through depression, and you don't feel it for years, and then you feel it, it's definitely still, it, it feels the same. It's not easy, painful. But like my mindset has changed in the fact that it's temporary. And so like, when I started struggling, I called my psychiatrist. I adjusted my meds. I got a couple of therapy scheduled. And what I did then is what I do when I'm stable. I try to stay on a schedule. Don't oversleep. Don't undersleep. It's really important that I'm sleeping enough. I eat really healthy. I work out and be active in a healthy amount. I would say that, you know, just having really supportive friends and family. I don't abuse drugs or alcohol. I've really gotten into journaling. One thing, a practice that my therapist got me into was like gratitude journaling. So it sounded really dumb at first, just like writing five things down a day that you're grateful for. And like, yeah. like, but now every day I do it and it's just like randomly like, oh, the smell of coffee or like hearing the birds in the morning. And it really like uh, over practice, like doing that multiple times, I seriously go throughout my day and I'm like, oh, that's really nice. Or I'm grateful for that. And it's just like I'm feeling gratitude all the time. And I think that that practice has helped me a lot. You know, if we go back to your your handle, Choosing Happiness LLC, I think a lot of times we get this idea that if we're doing everything right, like you mentioned before, that we're supposed to feel happy, right? And and that's not always going to be the case. I think even when you don't have a chemical imbalance, you know, if, even if you don't have a mental health issue, you can still have, you know, you're not going to feel happy all the time, even if you're doing everything you're supposed to do to take care of yourself. But we can choose what we're going to do with our mind. Well, what are we going, going to focus on? It's very easy. If you kind of go with how your mind is feeling, you're going to gravitate, you know, when you're depressed, you're going to gravitate towards negative things. And that compounds the depression. It makes your depression worse because you're feeding your mind 
negative thoughts and negative feelings and that kind of thing. But if you choose to feed it positive things like choosing gratitude, you know, choosing like, what am, what can I, make, can I be grateful for today? And I started doing gratitude prayers when I was depressed. So, you know, because I, I'm a mom and when I get depressed, I have to kind of, I call it maintenance or, or um, auxiliary power. Like I, I have to choose like, what are the most important things that need my energy today? The rest of it's going to have to get let go until I'm feeling better. And, but I would train, I taught myself to say gratitude of prayers at the end of the day and say, thank you for everything I was able to accomplish that day. So thank you that I was able to brush my teeth. I'm thankful that I was able to take a shower. I'm thankful I was able to feed my kids. Like I went through every little thing that I was able to accomplish and chose to make, have my mind focus on those positive things rather than allowing my mind at the end of the day to beat me up for everything I didn't get accomplished. And it makes a big difference. You know, it doesn't all magically make me feel better, but it does help me to focus my mind in a more positive way. And that helps to get me back up into a healthy mind space eventually. I would say that I've changed so much. When I was younger, I always had like, because I grew up like such a big athlete. I always believed that more was better and like pushing myself to the limit was the best. Like the more I do, the better it is. And I really like hope that, like my message to anyone listening and like for me now, I've really given myself grace. If I'm having a bad day, I don't feel like I can get out of bed or like don't feel like I can go about my day. Um, I'll take a day off of work or I'll do something that, you know, like lifts up my mood and kind of like you said, just checking out the little things. You don't need to be like, you know, accomplishing everything on your list every single day. And even if you're not dealing with mental health issues, I think it's good to have like mental health days where you really just like step back and like do things that help your brain feel good. And it's okay to do less sometimes because that's like taking care of yourself. Absolutely. So what would you say is your favorite self-care tool? We've talked about a bunch of different things. Is journaling, exercise, what is your favorite? Oh, that's hard. Exercise is definitely like up there. Um, but I think like exercising in moderation and like not overdoing it. I think I used it as a crutch for a while to like distract myself from a lot that was going on. And I over-exercised and dealt with some eating disorder and stuff around that. So I really tried to exercise in moderation and kind of live life in balance and everything that I do. So if I didn't say exercise, I would say journaling. I have dozens of journals filled up and I just write every day. Um, It's not even like I care to go back and read about my life. It's like just something about writing and getting your thoughts onto a page is like working your brain differently than talking and maybe like allowing yourself to just like let go of your feelings every day. It's also been really helpful for me if I'm like going through some mania or depression I'll like flip through my journal and look at the way I was writing like kind of see my energy And like, oh, I was like, I was up late last night or I like went to the gym longer than expected or I'm acting this way at work. And it's like, wow, like I'm experiencing mania. But if I look back at my journal, I could see that it's going on for like five, six days. And that allows me to treat the bipolar better because I'm understanding and catching it sooner. Yeah. Being much more self-aware. I think that's one of the things that I realized how important it was, you know, I, Bipolar is not the same as as having diabetes. However, I think that there are some useful connections there in the in the analogy. And one of them is that somebody who's diabetic has to constantly monitor their blood sugar to make sure that they're keeping everything in balance. And 
when you have a mental health disorder, it is all in your head and it all seems logical to you. But if you're not careful, that logic becomes logic very quickly. You know, you're, you're having irrational thoughts or, you know, irrational feelings and that when you're manic or when you're depressed. And so you making sure that you're monitoring yourself on a regular basis, like you're saying, and you can do it with journaling. I had a hard time long form journaling when I was really sick because when I was manic, my brain worked way too fast for me to write. And I, and I was frustrating for me and I couldn't do it. And when I was depressed, my brain felt like mud and I couldn't think to write. And so I actually hated long form journaling when I was first, you know, really ill, but using a mood tracking app was really helpful, you know, because it was easy to just click, you know, click the buttons and, and get the information in there. I could see how that worked good too. And I talk about how much I like lean on journaling. I have been, I haven't had an experience major depression for over three years and I quit journaling. So I quit, or I didn't do it as much, maybe once a week. And I think it kind of took the gas off on like tracking, tweaking my emotions, like understanding where I was because, you know, I found myself two weeks ago experiencing like negative thoughts and intrusive thoughts. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm struggling. And I wasn't taking the time to realize like the weeks leading up to that, I was oversleeping, my appetite had changed. So I think like, I'm like, oh yeah, now I got a journal because that does keep me on track. And that helps me like stay in tune with my emotions and I just didn't catch it quick enough. And I think it was going on longer than I thought, but it took me to like get some of those intrusive thoughts to be like, I need to do something to help myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it takes time to develop those, those habits. And, and it's easy sometimes for us to get out of the habits, like you're saying, you know, but over time you start to recognize how important the habit is. You're, you recognize, you know, how beneficial it is to you. And so it starts to feel less like, a chore and like something you have to do and something like you want to do. Because when I do this, it helps me stay healthy. When I do this, it helps me stay balanced. I had one other question about exercise. I, I'm curious, one athlete to another, I was a college athlete as well as a swimmer. And I didn't know how to exercise if I wasn't competing. Like I had, I had been always training for something like that's, that was my whole experience with, with exercise. And so when I was recognized how important exercise was for my mental health, I would find events to train for and inadvertently trigger hypomanic episodes every time I would train for something. And as soon as the event was over, I would crash and get depressed. And it took yeah. me a few years to recognize that pattern. And I thought, okay, but I need to exercise. Like, this is really important. How do I do this? And so it took time for me to figure out how to stop training for events, stop creating hypomania and how to exercise in a healthy way that was helping me to kind of sustain good mental health. So have you, did you have that experience at all? Or did you yeah, I would say finding balance and like not over pushing my body is something I'm still working on. When I first left college sports, I had been an athlete for over 10 years. So I was like not an athlete anymore. And I kind of had an identity crisis because I was like, oh, my God, like everyone knows me as Kate the runner. And now I'm not and I'm not spending three hours a day training. And so I had to find ways to like exercise myself, but like also struggle with like the identity crisis. Yeah. And so I think like. And people don't talk about like when you when you leave a sport, high school or college, your body changes like you yeah. become a woman, you, you're not exercising all the time. And so I think that also caused a lot of like depression and stress and like no one ever talks about that. And so for me, I think that I do tr trigger hypermania when I'm over exercising yeah. because I've always had like an obsessive 
personality where like, oh, I can run five miles next tomorrow, I'll run six. And it's just like, okay, how far can I go? Yeah. Um, and so I've really tried to like step back and not do that as often and try to find things to, you know, like be competitive about while giving my body rest because I'm dealing with some tendonitis right now and mm -hmm. it's from overrunning and dealing with an injury. And it just made me realize like, wow, we like only get one body and like, yeah, you need to either over push it and injure it or not exercise enough. I just think that they, we need to find balance. And I think taking workout classes and like working out with a friend is a great way that's really helped me like find that balance and like, oh, this is normal. I don't need to be going this hard all the time. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that it was really hard for me not to like track myself all the time and like watch my times, you know? And so it was, I, I remember one day I was really kind of struggling emotionally. I had finished a race. I was starting to get depressed and, and I, I was having a really hard time making myself go out on a run. And I had the thought, don't, don't time it. Don't clock it. Nothing. And it was the first time I had ever done that. I did. I realized I had never done that before. And it was such a freeing experience. <laughs> Like, oh, that felt really good. But it's still hard. It was still hard for me after that because I'm like, oh, how fast am I going? Like, I think it comes back to the gratitude of like, yeah. I'm thankful that I'm able to move my body and like celebrating my body today. And it doesn't matter how fast I'm going. Like, it's a, I'm grateful to be doing it. And so I'm kind of like shifting my mindset to that. I used to be like that too, like timing every mile. And now it's just like, I'm just yeah. happy I got out on a run. Yeah. And the other thing is uh, I had to, I had to detach. I totally relate to what you're saying about your body changing. Cause I, you know, being a competitive athlete for as long as I was, I, it was really hard for me when I would gain weight, especially when I had children, you know, or we went through a really stressful time. My husband was out of work for a couple of years. And so I was stress eating a lot. So I gained a lot of weight during that time. I gained about 20 pounds and, and that doesn't sound like a lot, but for somebody who's used to being the same weight all the time forever, that was a lot of weight for me. And it was hard for me to look at myself in the mirror. And so when I started exercising again, I was trying to lose weight and it wasn't coming off. And so instead of it being a, a beneficial experience for me, it was actually causing a lot of stress and it was counterproductive. It wasn't helping my mental health. It was harming my mental health. Yeah. And when I finally realized what it was, what was happening, I thought, okay, this is not, <laughs> this is not good. So I threw away the scale. I stopped weighing myself. And I started focusing on time, like exercise time. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to rock, walk or run for 30 minutes every day. And it doesn't matter if I'm having a really down day, I will go on a walk and walks are, you know, walks for me were easy. Sometimes it was hard to make myself get dressed, but once I got outside, I'm like just one foot in front of the other. I don't have to go a certain speed. I'm just going to walk outside for 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, and so that was when I started to kind of change my mindset around exercise and it became a much more beneficial self-care tool so one thing i want to say about depression is when i'm completely stable i live such a healthy lifestyle and when people get sick you, they often tell you listen to your body and depression is a little bit different because you can't listen to your head you don't want to get up you don't want to take care of yourself or the people around you depression is different because you have to maintain a schedule and it feels uncomfortable and painful and almost impossible at times. So I think the thing that when I meet with with my therapist, when I'm going with, through depression, it's like, okay, what can we do to try to keep your schedule like normal? And it's like, I don't want to do any of that, but it's like that way, that's what you need to do to maintain balance. And so when you ask like, what do I do to live a healthy lifestyle? I always like kind of 
living the same way, like sleeping and just having those healthy habits. But then if I get out of whack with mania or depression, trying to live the way I was living when I was healthy. And it can be really challenging. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So tell me one thing, if there's, what's the one thing that you really want people to know about living with bipolar, whether it's, you know, how to, how to develop good self-care, how to like hope, what, what's the message that you would want to leave our audience with? Um, I would say not just bipolar, but if you have been recently diagnosed with anything mental illness wise, that anxiety, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, any of it, it does not define you unless you let it define you. I really am big on saying that like when people say I am bipolar, like I, I don't like that because I look at it as I have bipolar. I'm all of these things and bipolar disorder is just something that I deal with. It doesn't define who I am as a person. And so I just want people to know if you know someone who's going through something is diagnosed with something or you're diagnosed with something, um, it really does not define who you are. It does not have control over your life and you can let go of that. And you're so much more of a person than what your mental illness is. Oh, I love that. And I, I totally agree with that. I used to say I'm bipolar. And, and I realized one day, like, I, I am not bipolar. Bipolar is something that I have. And so I, I did the same thing. I changed the language. A lot of things you're saying are things that I've experienced as well. You know, the way that we talk about ourselves and the way we talk about the experience really has a huge impact on, on the way we, we live with it, the way we view ourselves. You know, we're not defective. We just have a, an illness, just like somebody who has, you know, any kind of physical illness. It's just something that we're learning how to manage and learning how to live with, but it doesn't define us. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad I finally got to have you as my guest. And if you're not following her, make sure you go find her. She's choosing underscore happiness underscore LLC on, on Instagram. And make sure you get her book, yeah, Out of the Darkness. If you're interested on how to order a copy or want to talk to me more about it, you can message me and I'd be happy to send you a copy of my book. Yeah. And on the, on the show notes, I'm going to link, link that in there. So make sure you go and check it out. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Until next time, Outsiders. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you're ready to start on your path to wellness with bipolar, go to myupsideofdown.com and get your free mood cycle survival guide, four steps to successfully navigate bipolar mood swings. If you're ready for more, check out the map to wellness. Until next time, Upsiders.